his audience. So to further clarify who all is in our audience this morning, uh, we did find Cassandra and uh, from uh, the Broward County Church. So Cassandra was uh, taking her children out to uh, Kingdom Kids. So good morning, Cassandra. Thank you for being here with us and bringing your family with you as well. And I uh, also want to uh, acknowledge a couple of other friends we have in the audience with us today. Our friends Calvin and Elaine Johnson from the South Bay Church. They serve as uh, deacons in the, uh, the congregation there. And also I have a dear friend of mine from work who's taking my picture right now, Mr. Uh, Cheng Hua, who is the, uh, the president of uh, OUE, the company that owns the U.S. Bank Tower. And so Cheng Hua and I have had a number of really good spiritual conversations. He's a real seeker and uh, came all the way from downtown to join us today. So thank you for being here with us. So Jesus taught parables to illustrate deeper spiritual meaning and purpose. And we're going to be looking at Matthew 25 today. Uh, Jesus was um, at the end of his his life as we go into chapter 25. If you'd like to turn there. Uh, we've been building on a series of parables. We did the parable of the, the, uh, the, the, the plants, the, the, the soils, I should say. We did uh, the parable of the treasure. And today we're going to cover three parables. That's a lot. Uh, Reuben is, uh, is preaching the same lesson in downtown Long Beach today, or actually his version of this lesson, but on the same parables. But he asked if I could do these. I thought three parables. Wow. Plenty of material to work with here. So the, the, the first one that we'll look at is the wise and foolish versions. The second one is the bags of gold, more commonly or formerly known as the parable of the talents. And the third is the parable of the sheep and the goats. And, you know, some of what Jesus taught was intended to be obscure to people who weren't serious, to be obscure to people whose hearts were getting hard or who were not spiritual. And but those who really were seekers could dig out the meanings of the parable and and apply the theme of the parable to their own life. They could relate it to their life somehow. And so we're going to have we're going to look at a lot of material today. We're not going to read every bit of it, but have a Bible handy or look on with a neighbor, if you would. And as I was preparing for Matthew 25, this is a, a very meaty chapter. It's a long one. And there's a lot, obviously, with three, three full length parables in it. I had to ask, why was Jesus talking about this particular subject matter? This is literally a chapter before his betrayal, a chapter before Gethsemane. He's about to die. This is his last week in, uh, in Jerusalem. And so I had to ask, what were, were the events leading up to Jesus' lesson? And I came to this conclusion that the theme that what he was talking about is captured in this phrase. See me. Now, you might wonder... Brian, that doesn't really clarify anything for me right now, but I do want to uh, explain a little more. We live in a world that says, see me with the proliferation of social media. It's all about see me, right? It's social media screams it. And we all have a desire in us for attention. I will say that one of the biggest stumbling blocks I struggle with in even deciding to become a Christian was what will my friends think of me? Because we'd spent the couple months before that 
laughing at the Christians that we saw on the campus at University of Colorado, calling them the God Squad, hiding from them as when they came into the cafeteria. And I knew, boy, if I join that group, that means I'm God Squad, and that means my friends are going to be laughing at me. And this can be a stumbling block. And so today, though, this lesson is really intended to inspire you to uh, instead of saying in your Facebook or your Instagram or your Twitter or your Snapchat or whatever media platform you like to go to. Instead of saying to your friends, see me. Today's lesson is really to say to our Lord Jesus, see me. To have an eternal perspective as we go about our day-to-day lives, where we are living really in two different worlds, a world we can see and touch and feel, we get immediate reactions from people, that's one world we're in, to a spiritual world that we can't see, we can't touch it. We have to really trust that something out there is greater than what we see around us. That the kingdom that is eternal is greater than the world that is temporary. And I hope that after you listen to this lesson from Jesus today, that you'll choose to spend more of your time on that higher plane, living there with Jesus, watching you and you watching him. So today's lesson is a motivational lesson. It also happens to be about your motives. And what motivates you? We have a lot of things that make us do the good deeds that we do. Sometimes it could be from, from guilt of, of, wow, I, oh, shoot, I ought to do that. Um, could be from fear of, well, I don't want to get on God's bad side. Or I don't want to get in trouble with my family. I don't want to have to explain myself, so I'm just going to not do the bad and I'm going to go ahead and do the good. It could be just because it's, there's a good feeling inside that comes from doing good things. That's, that is a good thing, that we have a good feeling inside when we do good things. It could also come from a, just a genuine care for other people. Um, it could come from wanting some pats on the back. And wherever we're at uh, today, we're going to try to get our focus more on Jesus and off of ourselves. And I have a few uncomfortable things I'm going to say today. So I hope your hearts are open to what God has to say to you today. I'm your friend. I'm your brother. I'm, I love you all. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, you'll quickly realize I'm not a professional speaker. I, uh, I, do, uh, I manage commercial real estate for a living with my partner, Cheng Wah, as one of my clients and, and several other clients. But uh, I get to work with a lot of people, and I definitely live in that dual world of the world you can touch, the monuments that men build to themselves, the higher, taller, sexier you can make them, the better. That's the, that's the business that I'm in, right, Cheng Wah? let's make it better. We can do better. What they do over there, we're going to do better than that. But there's a kingdom of heaven that's eternal. That's going to outlast all those, those buildings that I manage. So see me, or you might be thinking, whoa, don't see me. And uh, I remember as a, 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 an 18 year old freshman at university of Colorado, one sermon that Tom Brown spoke that really stuck in my mind was he got up and he said, okay, today Imagine we're going to do something really different. Imagine I get up and I say, you know, we had a secret film crew following Brian Plymel around on the campus of University of Colorado. We filmed his entire week. And tonight 
We're going to show you the highlights of what Brian did last, this past week. Now, I was a raging, hypocritical, religious party boy. And I did not, the thought of that was like, that is terrifying. And his point was, that is exactly what God has been watching. <laughs> and so this idea of don't see me actually is a direct quote from my very precious daughter, Catherine. When she was about, about seven or eight years old, she's a little older in this picture, but one day she was climbing on a high chair or pulling something out of the refrigerator, but she was doing something that she knew she wasn't supposed to do. <laughs> Karen and I walked in, and there she is, caught in the act. She looked at us and she said, don't see me! <laughs> and uh, we both got a little chuckle in our hearts, although we didn't really exhibit that to her at the moment. But we probably all can relate with Catherine. Don't see me. God, don't look when we do things that we know we shouldn't be doing. And one of the great things that I love about our daughter, Catherine, is that she really has learned the value of putting her worst foot forward and being genuine about what she's struggling with rather than trying to put on some other kind of facade. And it doesn't come easy for her, but it's something that that she's certainly learned over time. But, you know, sometimes we do things that we don't want other people to see. And uh, and so we're going to talk about about that, that we are being watched. Um, But really, I think deeper inside of our core, there's part of us that wants to be recognized. We want to be noticed for what we what we do, what we see or what we do and say. Um, I don't know about you, but Karen and I were were laughing about how it seems like in the, the past few months or so there have been situations where. We have given someone, family member, friends, co-workers, some kind of great insight, great pithy advice. It was so powerful, so useful, so helpful. And, um, and then those people acknowledged that they came to this great lesson that sounded exactly like the one that we taught them. And yet they attribute it to something they read or they saw online or that some other person told them. I'm I'm really not just confessing Karen's sin here. This is me, too. But there was this part of us is like, wait a minute. We got to correct the record. We we started that. We planted that seed. And uh, you have to relate. You know, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter as long as Jesus sees it. And so over in Matthew 25, we're going to talk about this, this, this series of three parables that Jesus talked about to please him so that we can say, See me, Jesus. So to get the background, though, let's jump back to Matthew 21. So hold your uh, your finger there. The background, the book of Matthew was written primarily to a Jewish audience. Matthew was a disciple of Christ. He was a tax collector. Levi was his original name. He um, wrote primarily to a Jewish audience. I listened to a podcast of a scholar who's who thinks that he might have even dictated it in Hebrew and then the, the scribe translated into Greek because he uses phrases that the other gospel writers didn't use. But uh, uh, and just so you know, Luke wrote to a primarily Greek audience, uh, more um, um, scholarly and more worldly audience. And then 
lot of scholars think that the book of Mark was written mostly to a Roman audience, people who had no real religion or uh, deep, deep philosophy. They just were common, um, hardworking people. And so Mark is short and to the point. And then the book of John was written later to a more mature group of Christians who were now struggling because it had been many years since Jesus had walked the earth. And they needed a reminder that he had actually come in the flesh. And so John really tries to address that. So a little free background for you there. So Matthew's writing to this Jewish audience. And here we are in the city of Jerusalem. You'll see at the, uh, the beginning there of chapter 21, um, Jesus with his disciples approached Jerusalem, came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Olives and then he sent his, his disciples to go get a donkey. He's getting ready to go in for the triumphal procession. And so he comes into Jesus. This is his week of his crucifixion. The end is near. It's the final chapter. So he is attacked in chapter 22 by religious people. When I say attacked, he's attacked verbally. And it wasn't just one group of religious people. And it's important to sort of not just put all the Jews into one bucket. Okay. Because they weren't all in one bucket. They were, there were multiple um, religious groups. And you'll see the Pharisees. The Sadducees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, they were different groups. The Pharisees really followed pretty religiously the scripture, Um, so much so that they actually amplified it. They made up a few of their own to go with it. The Sadducees were were less righteous and more corruptible, uh, as were the scribes and the teachers of the law. The thing that united them all was that they believed in the book, the Torah, and they had their doubts about Jesus. And in chapter 22, most of the chapter is spent trying to trap Jesus. And Jesus, in his brilliance, outsmarts all of them. And we see the greatest command is laid down there that nobody could argue with, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then chapter 23, he gets into a scathing rebuke and seven very pointed warnings about religious hypocrisy. And on this basis, on this foundation, Jesus leads into these three parables we're going to read. Because this idea of hypocrisy was... A very serious cancer that concerned Jesus. Look familiar? Okay, maybe it doesn't. That's in the the Greek. Hupokritas. Hupokritas. I'll say that again. Hupokritas. That's, That's the word for hypocrite. It literally means, the root hupo means under, like where we get the word hypo, hypochondriac. Good. Hypodermic goes under the skin. It goes under and then crino is the part two, which is judge under judge. Literally, it is someone who goes under a mask. This phrase was not a religious term when Jesus used it. It was not used to describe two faced religious people, although Jesus applied it to that. But the audience heard him say the word actor. You all are actors. You need to knock it off. They didn't hear this religious phrase. It was 
actor. Because an actor was somebody that puts on a, on a, a mask not to hide anything, but to entertain. Right? They do it to get attention. We have people in our country who are paid millions and millions and millions of dollars to put on a mask and entertain people. Right? What he was really addressing, I mean, think about what you think of. When you hear the word hypocrite, you think of somebody who says one thing and does something, does another. Right? Which is true. There is a very key element of that. But even more descriptive was this idea of doing things for show. Doing things to be seen. Saying, see me as I go to church, as I give, as I fast, as I pray, as I read my Bible, as I share with you my profound insight. And so Jesus has a very strong warning. And let's look at chapter 23. And we'll see here, again, end of Jesus' ministry. Week of his crucifixion. He's tangling with the most religious people in the audience. And quite honestly, guys, that group of people are probably more like us than anybody else in the Bible. Because they knew the right things to say. They knew what the scriptures said. They really did their praying and they went to their temple or church services. They're probably more like us than anybody else in the Bible. And so Jesus has some very strong closing arguments, if you will. Chapter 23, verse 3, and, I, and I, I didn't pick all of them out. He actually had seven warnings. The Jews also kept track of numbers. And so the number seven was the perfect number. Jesus gave them a perfect condemnation to say, you guys have perfected hypocrisy. And so his point was not that they were unrighteous because they were good people, but he was condemning their motives. And so he says, don't do what they do because they don't practice what they preach. Everything they do is done for people to see. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you actors. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. What? How's that possible? Well, Jesus wanted to get this point across that acting wasn't going to cut it. And the religiosity of these people had blinded them to the real meaning and the real heart behind following God. And so he's got them on blast mode. Chapter 23 is just one of those, you can just hear him yelling. It was stern. But I, as I was reading it over, I, I, I kept thinking, this sounds so familiar. In fact, if you go back, oh, sorry, he, uh, he closes in the chapter. He says, you hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and dish. But inside that cup and dish are full of greed and self-indulgence. 
So again, the emphasis here in Jesus' condemnation was looking good on the outside and yet not really having the heart behind it. So as I thought about where else Jesus talked about hypocrisy, where was it? Anybody? Rewind about three years. Matthew chapter 6. The very beginning of his ministry. So here we have Jesus bookending his ministry with this same theme. What really matters is your motives for what you do. Chapter 6. This is a warning. This is like, hey, thank you for coming out to hear me today. I've got about three years. We're going to cover a lot of ground and you guys are going to turn the world upside down. But here's one thing I want you to make sure you really get down. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Because if you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. He punctuates it more by saying, and he talks about several Christian acts, but here he talks about your giving. Do your giving so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't be like the actors, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Ooh. Jesus knew that hypocrisy was coming. And so he wanted to warn his people. Don't just act like a Christian. Don't just do things to be seen by others. And I have to admit, it feels good to get some pats on the back, doesn't it? I mean, it feels good when somebody starts talking about something you've done and you're just waiting for them to mention your name. <laughs> Thank you. I'll uh, be in the corner if anybody has any further questions about what was just said about me. Uh, maybe you don't relate to that, but I, I certainly do. It's a temptation. It's a strong temptation. And Jesus knew this. So we have to look in the mirror because as religious people, we do tend to be actors. We do tend to be hypocrites. That's why Jesus was warning him, guys, be very careful not to be an actor. Because if you do, the only reward you're going to get is that pat on the back. Perhaps the greatest threat to your reward in heaven is your hypocrisy. The greatest threat to your reward in heaven is your hypocrisy. That's what Jesus is laying out here. And so that's the background for Matthew 25. The Christian life is not for show. The greatest threat to your reward in heaven is your hypocrisy. The only one you should try to impress is Jesus. And Jesus is the only one who sees what you hide. He hears what you say and he knows what you think. Okay, so, Brian, you're sounding a little negative here. All right. And I I'm just issuing the warning for all of us. I don't get a chance to get up here real often. And so. Yeah, I probably won't even No, I, I think hopefully I'll be invited back. But but I, I, I'm sharing with you some things that have really convicted me as I've read these. They've changed 
my desire to, oh, hey, wait, I've got an answer for it. They've made me say, you know what? I'm going to shut my mouth and do more listening. If somebody wants to hear what I have to say, I am happy to share it with you. But I want to change my focus to be more on understanding other people, understanding Jesus, letting my light shine through my actions and not having to call attention to them with the neon lights of my whatever vehicle I choose to use. And I'm not this is an effort. It is an effort and it doesn't get easier, but it gets harder as you get around longer because all of a sudden people sort of think you shouldn't you know the answer to this question? Shouldn't you be the one who speaks up? I can't believe you struggled with that. And so that great threat of hypocrisy is very real and doesn't get easier. Only we can do things today to make it more controllable later. So let's look at chapter 25. If you have your Bibles, pull it out. Because here we go. Jesus says, look, I want to make the point from Matthew 23 with some parables. And there's a lot of commonality between these, these three parables. There's judgment. There's responsibility. There's faithfulness in each of them. These people were given something, a trust, that they, they either uh, handled well or they handled poorly. And we'll see how that worked. But to me, the, the biggest underlying theme of it was this idea of the awareness that the master was going to be watching. The master was going to come back and hold them accountable. The master watched what they did. And I believe that's what Jesus is trying to drive home for us. So this, this uh, chapter 25, and I, as I said, it's fairly lengthy, so I'm not going to read. But verses 1 through 13, we see the, the foolish virgins or bridesmaids. Might be a, another way to think of it. So... What the tradition was is that the bridesmaid would get dressed up because there was a wedding coming. The groom was busy preparing the home in which he and the bride were going to live. It was usually an addition, an add-on, a little mother-in-law, if you will, to the house that he grew up in. And so he was going to bring his bride home to there. And so he's been working on building out this house. And bride, bridal uh, parties, well, I'm sorry, uh, wedding parties were a really, really big deal back in Jesus' day. They even, uh, some of the Jewish traditions indicate that even some of the rabbis were excused from their, their uh, rabbinical duties in order to participate in a wedding feast. Uh, many times the wedding feast would last up to a full week. And they were uh, tremendous celebrations. And so the, the bridesmaids would be all dressed up, and they would go and um, attend the bride, and they brought with them lamps. Because when the bridegroom came, they had to have their lamps lit to escort him to the bride. And typically there was a little notice given that the bridegroom is coming. And so they had to scurry around to get ready. Now, they didn't know exactly when he was coming. And part of the game was that the bridegroom was going to surprise the bridesmaids. Sort of like when young men like to surprise young ladies now when they ask them to marry them. Um, it's a big deal to surprise, which is, I agree, it's fun to do that. But that's just a cultural phenomenon. They, so the grooms wanted to surprise 
the bridesmaids. And so the word had gone out that the groom was coming. And so the, 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 brides, the, 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 uh, the, the bridesmaids all scurried around. Five of them, well, ten of, all ten of them had their, their little uh, you know, um, lamps, thank you, with oil in them. Five of them brought along a, little, a jar of additional oil. In case they burned down the oil they had, they could refill and keep it burning. Five of them did not bring any extra oil with them. They were going to take the chance that the groom would arrive before they ran out of oil. Well, unfortunately for them, it's after midnight. They're out of oil. The five foolish bridesmaids say to the five wise bridesmaids, can you give us some of your oil? And they said, no, we can't. You need to go to the store and buy some. So the five unwise, foolish bridesmaids went to the market in the middle of the night to buy some oil. And wouldn't you know, the groom arrives and they're not there. The five wise bridesmaids were there. The five unwise, unprepared bridesmaids were not. And so when the five unwise, unprepared bridesmaids go back, they're locked out. The wedding feast has begun. They're going to have a week of partying without them. They've disappointed their friend, the bridesmaid, the bride. I mean, they've disappointed the groom. The groom does not have a very good response. He even says, I don't know you. Now, pretty stark uh, situation that they were in. So what's the lesson from all this? Be prepared. (laughs) Right? Right? You got to. Be prepared. And being prepared means you have to you have to envision the return of the groom. There are spiritual things that we may think we can borrow. As the bridesmaid try to. There are spiritual things we think we can put off as the unwise bridesmaids did. But the point that Jesus is trying to make is you can't do that. If you were to, if you saw Jesus. If you knew him like the groom, if you really cared about him, you'd be ready. And how many of us have that same kind of outlook? Like the foolish bridesmaids, they looked ready, but they weren't prepared. On the outside, it looked like everything was okay. But on the inside, they weren't prepared for the things that life was going to be throwing their way. The wise, on the other hand, they were prepared. They got their help early. They went out. They got their oil ahead of time. They had no excuses. And so the challenge for us is with our friend's help and with Jesus' help, we need to develop habits that are going to help us to tackle those deep character issues that keep us from being prepared. Now, what prepared for what? Think about what kind of things could come your way. There may be tragedies that we need to be prepared for. Um, I will, the, the death of a loved one is something. How do you prepare for that? It's hard to, but you prepare by building your foundation deep. How do you prepare to start dating someone? If you're a single person, you just can't wait to date. But are you preparing yourself for that date? Okay, maybe not all the teens are preparing for dating yet. I, I get it, but... But those days will come. The day when you decide to get married, you've got to be prepared. 
And it's not just, well, I've pinned everything I like on Pinterest, and so I'm all ready to go. (laughs) Or I've picked out all the guys' tuxes. I know exactly what kind of shoes we're going to wear. No, there's something much deeper that we prepare for in our life. And and so as we um, picture Jesus, as we picture his return, we think about what he can, what we need to do to become more like him. And one of the things I am, have observed is that a lot of us in the room are not as prepared as we know we ought to be spiritually. I, if I had to characterize a number of people that I have talked to or that I have talked with others about, Too many of us know what we ought to do, but we're not doing it. We know we need to get help from either a special ministry group. We know we need to get help, perhaps counseling. We know we need to deal with our anger or our addictions, sexual or chemical. We know we need to confess something. We know we need to get help with our finances. Think about it for yourself. What is the thing or the things that you know you need to do? Everybody in your life is telling you the same thing. It doesn't do any good to hear it again. It doesn't do any good to go to a class and, oh, tell me more. No. We have to be prepared. The five foolish virgins thought, you know what? I, hey, I'm good. Thank you. I've got my jar here or my lamp. I think I can make it. I'll be okay. And the time came, and it was like, sorry, you missed it. And so today, as you pray and talk to Jesus, and as you talk to your friends, figure out what are those habits that I need to engage in, whether it's the fundamentals of a daily Bible study and prayer time, or praying with your spouse, whether it's opening up about that, one thing that's just tearing you up inside. Whatever it is, take that step. Let's move on to the next parable. In chapter 25, we have um, the parable of the bags of gold, also known as the parable of the talents. This is probably a little more descriptive when you call it the bags of gold because the parable of the talents can get a little confusing. Because we think of talent, you know, like, oh, I can throw a football, I can bat, I can sew. But talents were money. And so, very simply, this man, who was incredibly wealthy, was going on a journey. And so he brought in his three servants, and he had eight bags of gold. And he gave one of them five bags, he gave one of them two bags, and he gave one of them one bag. This is, they estimate, if you'll see in your footnotes in the NIV, 160 years of wages. Now, just throw a number on that, whatever you happen to, let's say $50,000 a year is a a year of wages. So how much is that, Todd? (laughs) Okay, so let's say 50,000 times 160 is what, 8 million? So he's splitting it up between his servants. Now, that's the point at which you say, darn, I wish I worked for that man. Right? 
But um, so the, off he goes. He doesn't tell them. He just entrusts them is what the scripture says. He called them together and he entrusted his property. He said, see you guys. So the servant with the five bags earns five more. The servant with two bags, he earns two more. That's a hundred percent return, people. If you did that over five years, that's a 20% return, non-compounded. That's, Cheng Wai, you'd be happy with a 20% return on investment, right? Yeah. So, but I don't think he was gone five years, but we don't know. That's a pretty huge return on investment. And then the third servant, he wanted to play it safe. So he took that bag of gold. He thought, I do not want to lose this. But, and I got plenty of other work to do. So he went, he dug a hole, he buried it. And waited for the master to come back. He said, look, he's trusted me with his bag of gold. I'll give it back to him when he comes back. So the master returns. He tells the first two, wow, well done, good and faithful servant. And he tells the third one, you're fired. Off he goes. He said, just throw him out. He said, I don't want to see him anymore. Uh, Not a good outcome for him. And what's the lesson be focused. We've got to be focused. The first two, I just, I am so impressed with their thinking. Because it's, it's not, it's not, it's not natural. The first two, the first, the, the, the third person, he just did the bare minimum. That's more natural. He did what was, what the people around him would probably expect of him. He was a little afraid that uh, we're going to get in trouble if I lose this, so I'm just going to bury it. So he operated from this unhealthy fear. I'm not going to lose it, so I'm going to bury it. And it didn't help. And yet the other two focused on what they could do for their master. Their focus was on the master. He said, hey, I trust you with these guys, with this, guys. And they interpreted that to mean, I am going to make you a bundle. I am going to make you happy. I, am, I can't wait till you get back to, so I can show you what I've done for you. And Jesus is saying, that's the kind of follower I want. I want you thinking about me when I'm not around. I want you doing things I didn't even tell you to do. I want you to dream big. The guy who went and got five more, that is not easy. One who got two more, that is not easy. But instead of focusing on their fear or their past hurt or their genetic makeup or whatever impediment they had, they focused on the master. What's going to make him happy? How can I make this? How, how big of an impact can I make? And they... Um, I, I, I kind of wonder if they talk to each other, you know. I, I think that's in our human nature to, hey, how you doing? Oh, man, I'm, I just doubled my money. Hey, so did I. Good job. This mom. They're fired up, you know. But you got to think, what was the third servant doing? Who was he talking to? Himself? Probably, and that's about it. He obviously wasn't talking to the other two. And how many times do you feel like, I kind of avoid talking to certain people because they're a little pushy? 
some people want to ask how I'm doing, and I really don't want to tell them. Because I'm, I'm in the status quo. I'm doing exactly what God told me to do, and here I am at church. And I'm sorry if, if you feel like I'm mocking you. I'm really not. But I want us to look in the mirror, guys. Too many people are afraid to just say, see me. I'm struggling, man. I've got one bag over here. I don't know what I can do with it. So I'm just going to hold on to it. Because we're afraid. You go to the, you go to the right person, they're going to say, well, let me help you put this to work. Let me help you change your character. Let me help you change the way you focus your time. Let me help you expect more of yourself than you are willing to do. I will help you. Just watch me. Just follow me. Just let me help you. But the one talent person was thinking, I don't want to get yelled at. So I'm just going to have that bag waiting for him when he gets back. Because you guys are going to, (laughs) you're probably going to lose some money somewhere. You guys are, you're going to fail somewhere. And who knows, the three-bag guy, he might have lost four bags and then came back and earned nine more. Right? The end is what matters. And so, we have to focus on the master. The challenge for you is, what is the great thing the master has entrusted to you? What's something God's given you that you're not using for him? And I, I want you to really think in your prayer time, just picture Jesus. Let's do this thing. Jesus, let's take this on. Yes, Jesus. Let's do it. Let's start a Bible study group at our workplace. Right, Cheng Wah? He's the one who asked me about it, so we're going to do that. Um, so let's look at the last one. The sheep and the goats. So this is long and incredibly challenging. Um, and that's not why I'm not going to read it, but I would encourage you to do so. But the parable is at the end of the days. The judgment day comes and Jesus is going to separate the sheep and the goats. And that's he's speaking figuratively. You've got sheep and you've got goats. The sheep are good. The goats are not. He says to the to the sheep, hey, you know what? When I was in need, you took care of me. And they said, really? And he said, yeah. And then the others, the goats, they said, he said, hey, when I was in need, you did nothing to take care of me. And they said, really? And he said, yeah. And so... He said to the sheep, come on in, let's party. And to the goats, he said, I mean, I have have nothing to do with you. You're cursed. The lesson of the sheep and the goats is to be aware. To be aware of the influence you have on people around you. People at school, people at work, neighbors, people in the line, people in your own home. Any time, listen to this. Anytime you help someone, Jesus feels it. That's what this parable is saying. He picked out the most unlikely people that we would ever want to help 
People in prison, people who are starving, people who are thirsty, strangers, people who don't have clothes. He says, anytime you help someone, Jesus feels it. I didn't know that until I read that this week. And I read, hey, wait a minute. That means anytime I do something to encourage somebody or to help somebody, Jesus feels it. By the same token, anytime you see someone in need, you, see, you know somebody needs a word of encouragement, you know somebody needs some food or some water, you know somebody needs some true help, and you neglect to give it to them, Jesus feels it. We have to do things without thinking first. What's in it for me? All I can say is I know when I see somebody in need, the first thing I think is, do I have time to help them? Or what else am I doing that's more important? But it's, it's hard not to think, well, it's not worth it for me to take my time to go help that person. Or I'll do it later. Or whew, somebody else did it. Whew, whatever that may be. And so we have to train ourselves not to think, well, what's in it for me? Instead, think, well, who's going to benefit? <laughs> well, that person will. And somehow, whatever good that person feels, Jesus feels it. So the challenge is to think, is to change your thinking about the needy people around you. To be aware. Have your feelers out. Looking for needy people. That you are qualified to help. So, I'm gonna, so in conclusion, pulling this together here. This is so cool. What, think about the reward for each of those people. The, the um, people with the, ba- the, the um, sorry, the, uh, the, 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 the five wise bridesmaids. What was their reward? The man with the bags of gold. What was their reward? And then the sheep and the goats, what was their reward? Let's look at it. The reward if you're prepared, the reward if you're focused, the reward for being aware. Well, the virgins who were ready went in with him. His master replied to the ones, the two that had invested wisely. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share Your master's happiness. And then for the sheep, the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. The real reward, Jesus says, You get to see me. That's the reward. We get to go be with him. He's the reward. A relationship face to face with him. It's he's the one that you've been imagining all these years that when you do something good, he feels it. He's the one that when you invest your time and your energy in doing something magnificent for him, he gets the credit for it. 
He's the one that the people have been waiting for to come back someday. We show up every Sunday at church. We take that bread. We picture him. The reward now, we finally, we get to see him. We get to be with him. So I, I want you to think about it. I had to put in my, a picture of my grandson. And this, this is you and me looking at Jesus. Saying, see me? See what I did? And Jesus saying, yes, I do see you. Do you see me? We're going to take the Lord's Supper right now. Remember Jesus. Think about Jesus. And see Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're so challenged because everything around us is so worldly and and, uh, appealing and enticing. And it's so easy to want other people to pat us on the back and for our motives to get messed up. And we just ask God for the eyes of faith to be able to see you, to look up to you, God, to to see see Jesus right here beside us watching what we do. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross for us so that we could be forgiven, so we could get a new start, so that we could be more like you, so we could be those good and faithful servants. We can't wait to see you. May we see you more closely now as we pray in Jesus' name.